This is a Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 130. Skadoosh. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he can spin a pencil like a champion, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and, and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use, and one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be, because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting, and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host, and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to, and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, if, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. Hey, what's up everybody, Pat Flynn here, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. You're listening to episode 130, and today, I'm very happy to welcome Michael Port to the show. If you don't know that name, you might have heard of his book called Book Yourself Solid, a book that's sort of one of the required readings, I would say, something that I was recommended to read a long time ago. And if you don't know what this book is about, uh, you can just read the subtitle because it tells you everything. It's the fastest, easiest, and most reliable system for getting more clients than you can handle even if you hate marketing and selling. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. I mean, how is like how is that for a subtitle for a book, right? Awesome. And Michael's also a top-ranked speaker, a coach, a trusted mentor, best-selling author, just all-around amazing guy. So I'm just gonna, and actually I found out recently that he has been an actor in some shows that I actually watch. So all-around amazing guy. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much. Great to be here. Oh, thank you. And tell us really quick, how did you become the Michael Port that we all know, you know, author of Book Yourself Solid, which is, you know, something that everybody talks about to all the other amazing things that you're doing. How, how did you get from where you were to where you are now? Well, I started my career as an actor. So I had a modicum of success. I was in most of the shows that you would have seen that were filmed in New York, um, a bunch of films. I did a lot of voiceovers. So I did voiceovers for AT&T, Coors Beer, Pizza Hut. Braun Shavers, mm -hmm. 
Uh, there was a whole series of Budweiser commercials. Remember those What's Up guys? What's up? What's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they did spinoffs, and I was uh, in a series of spinoffs. We did about seven of them. And we, instead of being the What's Up guys, we were the Jersey guys. So we said, how you doing? If you you remember those commercials, it was just, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And then at the end, I would say, you don't want to (laughs) know. So, uh, so that was my first career, but you know, I was an entrepreneur at heart and I had a hard time dealing with that lifestyle, waiting around for other people to give you jobs. It just didn't sit well with me. Mm -hmm. I've never been accused of having any patience whatsoever. (laughs) So I decided to talk myself, to talk my way into a job in the, in the fitness industry for which I was completely unqualified. And I told them I was unqualified, but I made my case as to why they should give me a shot. And fortunately they did. And I was lucky enough not to know how they did things uh, in that industry. So I came in with some fresh ideas and I did well. I had, I had uh, some good success there and I I helped open a club. Um, And then uh, after that, I, I decided to go out on my own because, you know, working for other people is is uh is only great when the people you're working for are absolutely fantastic so mm-hmm. i want to go out and uh and build something myself where i could be that person that was fantastic to work uh with and for and that was about 11 years ago and there's a lot that's happened since then but i think there's other things that would probably be more interesting to talk about than uh, what's happened in the last 11 years but i think safe to say that I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. I have gratitude every single day that I wake up. Doesn't mean that work is always easy. Doesn't mean that money's just always rolling in. Doesn't mean that everything works. But nonetheless, I know that my job is to get up every day and solve problems. And I feel lucky to get to do it. And I know that I'm very fortunate. Amen to that. I'm, I'm right there with you, Michael. And so your book, let's, I guess we'll start with, with your book. Book Yourself Solid. Was this a, your, the first book that you published? Yeah, correct. It came out in 2006, and I've done three different editions of it. The most recent edition came out in 2000, and I don't remember, 2012, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's called Book Yourself Solid Illustrated. So I worked with an illustrator to visualize the concepts. So we cut a lot of the text, and we're able to to turn the ideas into pictures, so it's a lot easier to pick up and, uh, and faster to consume. And then, of course, easier to go back and review because you can pick up you can go back and look at the pictures and say, ah, yeah, that's what that was. Let me let me act on that particular uh, concept or tactic. Yeah, that's actually a very fantastic idea for a lot of the people out there listening. They they're authors. That's a great way to sort of take it to the next level. Now, tell us what that book was. What what's the gist of that book? How can it help all of us? Well, the the book is is about how to get as many clients as your heart desires, and. I think truly to stand in the service of others as you stand in the service of your own destiny, your own future. Because if we want to build something great, and even if we want to build something that is relatively automated, um, allows us a lot of freedom and a lot of free time, I think we, we're well served to first learn all the fundamentals of how to book business. I remember when I started the started as a, I guess, a coach or a consultant. The big thing was groups. You got to do group programs because it's leveraged and doesn't take a lot of time and you can put people together and it's so much money and you can automate and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, well, yeah, that's great, but I don't really have anybody around me to put into a group. You need a lot of people around you to, to do very leveraged uh, activities. 
even if you're just selling products, you need lots and lots and lots of people to buy those products, um, you know, if you're delivering them digitally. Mm -hmm. And you need to know how to get all of those people around you. And one of the most effective ways is to learn the fundamentals of actually booking business. To get one person at a time to say yes to you, I think is very, very important skill. Because once you know how to do that, then you can look at leverage and scale um, and, uh, and building something bigger. Sure. Sure. So let's say we, we have a skill that we know that we can provide value for others with. And, you know, most people don't, don't, you know, most, a lot of people who, who have this sort of urge to become an entrepreneur and, and provide services in this way, we aren't, we don't come from a business background. We don't know the fundamentals. What are those fundamentals that, that a lot of people should know before getting started? Sure. So as you can see, I didn't go get an MBA. I had an MFA, a Master's of Fine Arts from NYU, not an MBA, not a Master's of Business Administration. So I didn't know uh, how to you know, read projections and do forecasting and all that kind of stuff. But I understood what the performer knows about creating experiences. And marketers create experiences and great in great businesses create experiences for the buyers. And so I tried to re-engineer what I knew both from the fitness industry in, 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 ter, in delivering experiences and as an actor and performer in delivering experiences. And I realized that marketing didn't actually get you clients. Hmm. I know that sounds un, strange to say. But it doesn't actually book you the business. Marketing just creates awareness for the products and services you offer. It creates awareness for you and maybe your personal brand identity. But it doesn't actually book you the business. So let's say somebody becomes aware of you or I because of this podcast. So mm -hmm. I introduce it. I send it to my subscribers and they meet you and you, uh, your uh, listeners meet me. They're not just going to buy something from us right now. And I think it would be a bad idea to try to sell something to them. We haven't earned enough trust to do something like that. I think that's a mistake that most folk make. Most folk, many folks make, is that they rush too quickly to try to have the sales conversation because all we're doing is creating awareness. Once somebody becomes aware of us, well, that's that's where we start. That's where the sales cycle process starts. What we do once somebody becomes aware of us is what actually books us the business. So our job is to build trust over time. Trust is built in an instant. And as we're building trust, we make sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that we've earned. I'll say that again because I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. we, we would be well served and our potential clients are well served. When we make sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that we've earned. So here's, the, here's how the process works. This is the Book Yourself Solid system or process in a nutshell. You use a few of the core self-promotion strategies to create awareness. So networking, direct outreach, referral strategies, speaking strategies, writing strategies, and web strategies. Those are the six core self-promotion strategies. You use a few of them to create awareness. You use them on a, on a regular basis. Once somebody becomes aware of you, they come and check out your foundation. And they, they, they look at that foundation. And if they feel that that was built for them, that it, it's solid, it's secure, that they feel comfortable on it, then they'll give you an opportunity to earn their trust. Now, 
if you have a plan in place for building trust and credibility, you can put that plan into action and start making sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned. And a sales offer could be something that doesn't cost, but it is something it is you're asking somebody to do something. Mm-hmm. Sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned. And if you have perfect pricing, meaning meaning it's in the sweet spot of that buyer's desire, and you know how to have the simple sales conversation, well, then you can book the business. And the process repeats itself again and again and again because it's a very systematic approach. You execute on a few of those core self-promotion strategies every day, and then people come and check out your foundation. If it's not built for them or if it's shaky and weak, then they go away. But if it is secure and solid and it is built for them, well, then they'll give you the opportunity to earn their trust. You take that opportunity. You demonstrate your credibility. You earn trust over time. You make sales offers that are proportionate to the amount of trust that you've earned. You've got perfect pricing. You understand anchoring. You understand framing. And you know how to have a simple sales conversation. Well, then you can book the business. You're not going to book the business every time, of course. But you'll more likely than not book the business because you're having the sales conversation at the right time. And so people are raising their hands and saying, I'd like to talk to you about buying from you. And that's when you want to be in a sales conversation. Sure. I really love uh, all of that, Michael. Thank you so much for taking us through that book so quickly and and giving us all that information. I really love the part about, you know, your sales can be proportionate to the amount of trust that you have. And that makes sense when you think about it. if somebody were to just visit your website for the first time or be introduced to you. If you were to sell some $2,000 coaching course before they even know you, that wouldn't make any sense. It probably wouldn't, would it? Now, of course... The sales cycle is is as much of an art as a, a practical technique because people go through your sales cycle in different ways. So, for example, if I sent my best friend over to you and I said, look, you know, Alex, you got to go work with Pat. Pat is the best. I absolutely love him. I trust him. No doubt about it. You're going to get what you need. He won't ask any questions. He'll call you up and say, Pat, can I work with you? Because the referral is so trusted that he doesn't need to ask other questions. But that's not how all of our buyers come to us. So some of them will. Some of them will come in right away. They don't need a lot of questions and they'll buy. But others will sit for six years in our sales cycle, just watching, reading what we put out, listening to what we put out before they'll pull the trigger on anything. So one of the things that – a big piece of the Book Yourself Solid system, which is a big part of the, the, the technical part of it, is, is learning how to, how to automate but also approach this sales cycle manually so that you know who you should be making what offers to and at what time. Right, right. And I want everybody to think uh, – everybody listening out there to think, you know, not just – you know, like you were saying, a a moment of trust gaining or a moment of the sale, quote, sale, it doesn't necessarily have to be something in exchange for money. It could be anything from clicking a link to read a post to subscribing to an email list. Those are all small little, really tiny proportionate things that if somebody just barely gets to know you can, can you know, you can close on those things, but they can each lead up to the next until you get to that um, that that actual sales conversation where you're selling something, which like you said, it could happen at different times for different people. Absolutely. Yeah. I really hear what you're saying. Now, the speaking of the sales conversation, I think this is where a lot of people get sort of, you know, 
they 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 don't have confidence. You know, they know they have a, a service they want to provide or something of value to share. And you know, we I see it all the time, at least on sales pages, where they just they seem weak. They're not confident. If this isn't for you, then that's okay. You know, that's sort of like you know, you can just tell that they're not all into it. How can someone best sort of display that what they have is something worth value and and and, and the person on the other end knowing that and 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 closing with them? Sure. So the sales conversation starts way before we think we're actually having a sales conversation. The sales conversation starts way before that person calls you up and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about buying from you or working with you. It starts at that foundation. So there is a very specific structure that I think exists within most sales conversations, and we can chat to that in a minute. But first, I want to look at the foundation because you feel comfortable saying the best thing for you would be me when you feel that that foundation is absolutely, absolutely solid. So the foundation has four building blocks. The first is what I call the red velvet rope policy. The second is understanding why people buy what you're selling. The third is developing a personal brand identity so you decide how you're known in the world. And the fourth is being able to talk about what you do without sounding confusing or bland or like everybody else, but without ever using an elevator speech or a 30-second commercial. And I'm on a mission to, to kill this idea of the elevator speech for people who sell services. It's absolutely appropriate if you're going to pitch a venture capitalist um, or, or trying to get your product into Walmart. That's a different environment. But uh, giving a, a pitch in 30 seconds that's supposed to get somebody that you just met in an elevator to pull out their wallet and hire you is, is kind of a crazy concept. That's and interesting. We, I mean, we, we hear about that all the time. What's your elevator pitch? If you can't say what you do in 30 seconds, you don't even know. Is that? Yes. Yeah, see, here's the thing. You need to be able to say what you do in 30 seconds. But the problem that I have found is that we try to turn that into something that is so extraordinary that it ends up being filled with hyperbole mm. and it sounds highfalutin. So if I'm giving a keynote speech and I pull the audience and there's, say there's 2,000 people in the audience and I say, so let me ask you a question. I'd like you to raise your hand if you absolutely just love, I mean, absolutely love, love, love giving your elevator speech. Generally, no hands go up. Right. Sometimes one or two, and there are usually a couple of dudes in the back, like, <laughs> yo, me, I do. Right? And I say, okay, good. So now, now we know people don't love giving it. What about listening to it? Raise your hand if you just absolutely love, just love, love listening to other people give their elevator pitch. No hands go up. Hmm. So I say to the guys who put their hands up first, I say, guys, by the way, look, nobody wants to listen to it. So why are we still doing it? Well, we're doing it because we have to be able to talk about what we do. The reason that we don't want to listen to other people give it is because it sounds like a speech. You And, and, and the, talking about what you do is really, really easy when... You have a red velvet road policy. You understand why people buy what you're selling and you have a personal brand identity. You're able to talk about what you do in 30 seconds, three, se uh, three minutes, three hours, three weeks, three months, three years. It doesn't matter because you are so secure in what you offer that you don't feel the need to give a hyperbole laid speech. So here's the thing. When somebody comes and checks you out, 
first thing they want to know is who do you help and what do you help them do? So they're, they're asking, does this person help me get what I want? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, they go away. And if the answer is yes, then they'll look further. You're still not enough to hire you, but then they'll look further. So they want to know, does this person help me get what I want? Well, what is me and what is what you what they want? Me is the target market. Who specifically do you serve? And what's the specific result you produce for them? Now, in order to understand what why people buy, you first need to start with that target market. Because if you don't have that very clear, well-defined demographic group of people, group of businesses that you serve, it's very hard to figure out what they need and what they desire. And then, of course, the big result that you help them get. And then, of course, the deep-rooted benefits of that result from a financial, emotional, physical, and maybe even spiritual perspective. Mm-hmm. Without that target market, it's very hard to do that. So one of the reasons I think we latch onto this idea of the elevator speech is because we don't yet actually know who we serve and what we sell. So if we know who we serve and what we sell, it's no big deal. You could say, well, who do you, what do you do? I say, well, I help these kind of people do this. That's it. That's not an elevator speech. That's just a really clear um, uh, practical uh, demonstration or articulation of who I help and what I help them do. And maybe it leads into a conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's just a, a very clear description that a six-year-old can understand. And so people take you seriously as a result. Right. I mean, we we see the elevator pitch all the time on shows like Shark Tank. You know, the first minute or two is them pretty much selling their product to the sharks but that's that's That's, venture capital or yeah that's different it makes perfect sense yeah it makes sense it's venture capital that's what you're supposed to do that's what they want you to do so you know they'll give you 30 seconds okay i like that idea you can come back to my office and get 15 minutes they come for 15 minutes okay you can come back on thursday for 45 okay you can you know and then it goes from there but that's not how a relationship develops between two people one of whom may be buying a service from the other one Hmm. or even a digital product from the other one where they're buying a brand identity, where they're buying an experience with that person. So it's not, of course, that I don't think we need to talk about what we do or have a way to do it. But if you know who your target market is, if you know what they need and what they desire, if you have a big result that you help them get, something you hang your hat on, and then you know what the benefits are from a financial, emotional, physical, and spiritual perspective, you don't need a script to articulate that. You'll be able to talk about those things in an organic, natural way in a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. It might seem like a slight difference, but what you're doing is you're, you're being improvisational because you have a foundation that you can actually improv from, you know, you have this platform, but if you don't have this platform, then you feel like you need a script because you're not, you're afraid you're not going to be sure what to say next because the foundation isn't strong enough. Right, right. So I think a good exercise for everybody out there listening would be to imagine somebody in their target audience and you can add to this or, uh, you know, revamp it if you'd like, Michael, but, you know, somebody to imagine somebody in their target target market and just having a casual conversation with them and that person asking, hey, what is it that you do? Mm-hmm. The, the natural answer from there is probably going to be, if you if you don't think about it too much, it just comes out naturally and organically. And like you said, that's that's part of the sales process. Yeah. And and I also think it's really important to, tr- to think about that without trying to prove anything. Just focus on the result. That's it. So, you know, if I help financial planners get clients, 
that's that's what that's what I do on the most basic level. It doesn't mean that there are all sorts of other things that I do or my company might do. It doesn't mean that that it ends there. Yes, there are benefits of that, and and those come out in the conversation. Those financial, emotional, physical, and spiritual benefits. But when one of the reasons, and I think it goes back to your original question of like, well, why is the why is their sales copy weak, or why why do they feel like they can't say the best thing for you would be me? Is is in part because they feel like they have to prove themselves mm. rather than allowing other people to be interested in what they do. Got it. So more of trying to be magnetic than sort of yeah. just sort of reaching out and trying to get people who may not even know who you are yet. Mm-hmm. Love Absolutely. It. Love it. Yeah. A couple more topics I want to talk about with you, Michael, if you don't mind. Um, we touched on pricing a little bit, I mean, barely, but I'd love to go deeper into that if you, if you would love to. Um, okay, we have, a, we have a service we want to provide. How do we know how much we're worth? How, would, how do we know what that sweet spot price you talked about earlier is? Well, you're worth what you want to be worth. I mean, you value yourself first. We always start there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't value ourselves enough. We think, I don't, can't get that fee or I can't get that fee or I'm not like so-and-so. I'm not like so-and-so. So I think it starts with us. You know, we really need to resonate with the fees that we're quoting. And, you know, I'm not a super woo-woo kind of person. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I'm not suggesting that this is some kind of uh, vibration thing. You know, this is just from a practical perspective, if you don't believe that you're worth what you're asking, then it's unlikely somebody else is going to want to pay you that. So we need to start with ourselves first and foremost. Secondly, you know, we do need to look at our target market and and what their uh, price elasticity looks like. Uh, you know, is this a target market that can afford your services in the way that you want to deliver them and the way that you want to price them? If the answer is yes, well, then you're good. If the answer is no, you might think you might need to think about changing the business model so that you can fit into their sweet spot, but still uh, make the kind of money that you want to make and feel that you're being valued. Uh, based on the fees that you're receiving. And so that's those are the, the two places that we start. First with ourselves and second with with the market. But I think this uh, in large part goes to the business model that you are designing. Mm-hmm. If you have one offer, then that's it. You have to make all your money off that one offer. And it's often a single point of failure. Do you have multiple offers? Are there different offers that people can take advantage of that are at different price points and uh, and give them different experiences so that there's a way for them to move through different offers in your sales cycle comfortably based on where they are in the buying process and, uh, and what their financial situation is like? We also need to understand the concept of framing and anchoring, the two very important concepts. The idea of anchoring, I'm on my boat right now, which is where I spend most of my time when it's above mm-hmm. 45 degrees outside. And, you know, if I want the boat to stay in one place, I've got to drop an anchor. And if I don't set that anchor well, then the boat's going to drag and I could, you know, run into shore or God forbid into another boat, something like that. But if I want to move, I have to pick up the anchor and I have to move. And we we have anchors often already set with respect to prices for specific products or services. And for example, 
let's say you wanted to buy a TV and you never had bought a, have never bought a flat screen TV before. And, and you came over to my house and you said, Hey, that's a really nice TV that you've got there. I said, Oh, thanks. And then you said, how much does it cost? I said, Oh, wow. it costs $3,000. I'm just making this up. So $3,000. You say, oh, okay. So then you go to the Best Buy and you're looking at some TVs and you see one that looks exactly like mine. It may be a different brand, maybe the same brand, but it really the same size. The picture looks great. Same features. Mm-hmm. And on the, the price says fifteen hundred. You say, "Oh my God, what a deal!" First thing you're wondering is, "Is there is there something I'm missing? Is something wrong?" But yeah. then you realize it's just like it, the one Michael has. But I'm going to crush it and get a better deal here. So that anchor really helped that seller because your anchor was much higher than the price at which they were selling it. Now. Mm-hmm. What if I had said fifteen hundred and you walked in and it said three thousand at the store? You are like, I'm not gonna spend three thousand because I know I can get one like Michael's for fifteen hundred. Right. So the anchor's already set. So the buy so the seller in that case has to either pull up your anchor, right, and try to set a new one, or just give up and walk away because they're not gonna be able to to move you because your anchor is so firmly set. So one of the things we need to do is learn how to pull up anchors and reset them and then use framing either our prices against other people's prices and or our prices against our prices. So we often like to compare things. And so one of the reasons we see software products at different price points is because the potential buyer is trying to find the right place for themselves. And the, and the, and the company behind the software product knows which option they want that person to buy if you go to i think many of the many of the 37 signals uh, products uh, are sold like this base camp etc and you'll go and there'll be three different options and they'll have one highlighted that'll even say best option because that's the one they want you to buy it's the most profitable for them maybe the least amount of labor behind it um, and maybe the people who take that one tend to stay the longest, you know, whatever metric they're going by. So if we frame different prices against each other, so for example, I, I did a program once where, and you guys break, take out your pen, write this down so you can see these numbers. I did a program once where I offered three options and it was, um, it was a, it was an online program, a self-directed. So it was very, very inexpensive. And there were three different options. There was a, a gold, a plat, a gold, uh, a silver and a platinum. No, a silver, a gold, and a platinum. So the silver was $99. The gold was $199. And the platinum was $299. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you which one do you think the majority of people purchased. But I'll tell you that 80% of the people purchased the middle option, $199. Because when they looked at the $99 one, they went... I don't, that's not really enough. And they looked at the middle one, they go, that's what I need. They looked at the more expensive one, they go, well, I don't have to have that. So I won't get that one. I'll get the middle one because that's really what I need. So 80% of the people went in there. Well, I ran it again and I raised the lower prices, but I just changed the frame. I put the lower price at $199. Okay, I put the in the second time I ran it, I put the 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 silver at $199. I put the gold at 279 and i put the platinum at 299 same exact program 
I got the same, about the same number of people signing up, a few more actually. So notice that the prices went up and it didn't make a difference in number of signups. So I knew I was way low in the, elast- in the elasticity for that particular um, price point for that particular product. So I could keep you know, uh, pushing it up um, uh, as well. Mm-hmm. But I changed the frame and that was the most important thing. So again, remember, people looked at the, the lower one and said, that's not really enough. They looked at the middle one and said, that's what I need. They looked at the the platinum one and said, well, you know, I'd like that stuff, but I don't have to have it. But now, because the one that they want, they had, the one that we needed was 279 and the one that they wanted was 299 they'd be crazy not to get the one they wanted for an extra 20 bucks. Right. Right. So 80% of the people went into the offering that was 299 They took the platinum. Not only was it a higher price point, but what's most important to remember about this is that they went into the higher offer. They took the more... Uh, profitable uh, uh, option for me just because the frame was slightly different, but all of the content, all the delivery was exactly the same. Right. It's, it's like those deals you see at the store where it just wouldn't make sense not to take them, even if it's a little bit more money, five or 10 bucks extra. I mean, it's, it's almost like the, um, the extra value meals, you know, at the fast food places, it's like 20 cents more for twice as much food. Exactly. Exactly. Look, that's what Costco's entire model is. You know, do you really need 18 gallons of <laughs> cheese puffs? I would say no, probably not. But you're going, how can I not buy this? It's such a deal. I'll have cheese puffs for the rest of my life. I'll save so much money. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have cheese puffs for the rest of your life. And that, that's not including all the medical bills that come in after that. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, it's one of these things that it's interesting because a lot of folks who are, who are going into business for themselves, but haven't spent a lot of time in their earlier years focusing on uh, business concepts or entrepreneurship. They have experienced all of these things as a buyer, mm-hmm. but they haven't necessarily thought about it as a seller. And when you start fe- seeing the world from the seller's perspective, you start noticing a lot more uh, as a buyer. You actually end up, I think, often being a better buyer. Because yeah. you understand the sales person uh, better, because now you have seen both perspectives. That's not a you know that's not an absolute, but that's what I have found uh, personally. And oh, I've seen oh, me too, me me yeah. too. I mean, it was sort of like I used to I used to be a waiter at Macaroni Grill, and then every time, ever since then, even now, I look at waiters a different way because I know what they went through, and then and then yeah. I, you know I sort of. I sort of start at like the 15% and if they do really well, I'll add to that tip. And if, if they don't do what I know they should be doing, I, de- I decrease it. I don't know if that's bad or not, but. Oh, so you're actually a little harder on them because you expect, you know, more because you know what, what that sh- what the service should be like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I don't know. Just some random fact uh, for everybody out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're only scratching the surface well, so of everybody pricing just here. Know, if you're waiting tables, make sure you do it. <laughs> an outstanding job if Pat comes in. <laughs> you're gonna, not going to get a good tip. That's just all there is to it. Hey, but if you tell me you listen to the podcast or read the blog, then that anything you do doesn't matter. I, I'll give you a good tip anyway. Right. Um, so I, like I was saying, we just scratched the surface of pricing, which I know is a huge topic. We've talked about it uh, in the past with Ramit Sethi in another episode, and I'm sure there are many well, more episodes in the future. What's that? 
I love Ramit. Yeah, Ramit's awesome, and and he's actually going to come back on the podcast very soon. Um, but before we finish up, this is the last thing I want to talk about, and we could just talk about this really quick. Is is your speaking career? Um, this is something I've gotten very interested in lately, as you know. And Michael, I actually sent you some video of some of my previous talks, and you've given me some amazing advice. Um, one, how important is speaking in a person's career as a business owner, if at all? And second, you know, what can one do? Uh, maybe what's the one or two things that would help them get started as a speaker more than anything? Sure. So let's define speaking. Often we think of speaking as public speaking on a stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people. Mm-hmm. But we're speaking all day long, aren't we? We are. And we're, we're always playing roles. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. So we're playing roles day in and day out. We play one role when we're home with our family. We play another role when you know we're doing a podcast. We play another role when we're hanging out on the boat with our uh, friends from the marina. And now, ideally, they're all authentic roles. They are all a true part of who you are. But in certain, search, cer- certain cer- situations or circumstances, we amplify certain parts of our personality. We amplify certain parts of our skill set. And as a result, we're creating characters that move through these different worlds, these different environments, these different scenarios. Now, this may be a new concept, this idea of you're, you're playing a character that is walking around this earth right now, you're hopefully not making stuff up. You're not making up your backstory. You're not manufacturing uh, some identity. And, and rather, you're authentic. You're true. You're real. You're in the moment. You're listening. You're paying attention. That's what the great actors do. And if you start to notice, you can play a better role. You can often play the leading role in, in environments where heretofore you've just been playing a supporting role, if you start to see, if you start to realize, well, what, what would the leading role be like? How would the lead role behave in this situation? And so I think that this idea of speaking and performing applies to so much more than just standing on a stage giving a speech. Mm-hmm. I think it applies to all aspects of our life. A negotiation is a performance. Right. The person who's at the other side of the table is trying to read you. I mean, I, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, yeah. every day we are trying to convey our ideas to other people, whether it's our spouse or our kids, and not in like a manipulative selling no. type of way, but just oh, of course not. It's, that's a part of life. Well, and so I really my, love my, that. I really love When that. my nine-year-old is driving me crazy, I have to manage that stress level that I get, the feeling of frustration and even anger that starts to boil up, I have to play a role of a supportive, caring, loving dad. That is who I am authentically, but I'm sure most parents would agree that sometimes uh, they behave in ways that they would rather not behave because their kids drive them up the wall. So we're trying to play a different role. We don't want to be that guy. We don't be that parent. So a lot of uh, what the actor does is the actor understands how to manage their own emotions and how to essentially use their emotions to 
create a feeling in somebody else. Sure. And I think this can be applied to so much of our life. Now, if you look at speaking on a stage, well, my gosh, this is my favorite topic really in the world of business because you have this opportunity to create a theatrical experience that moves people dramatically. And I use the words theatrical experience and dramatic intentionally. Because often when people are thinking about creating speeches, they think about the content first and foremost and primarily, and maybe even entirely. However, if somebody is in a room and you're on a stage, they want you to create an experience for them. They want you to perform for them. And if you want your content to land, if you want to get a message across, if you want to move people to do something, to think something, to see the world in a particular way, then you need to create an experience for them that helps them see the way the world is now and the way the world could be. Because when you're asking somebody to change their views or to see something in the way that you see it, you're asking a lot of them. And often when you're walking on the stage, you might be the fifth person speaking at a big conference uh, and everybody, and they've been sitting there for four hours. Well, you're going to go on and you're trying to move them to just get them to see the world in this big, different, often confronting way. Well, that's not easy. So you've got to be able to demonstrate how extraordinary the world will look if they, if they open up to what you have to say. And we, of course, can't, we can't assume, we can't think, we can't believe that we can push our views or our ideas onto other people. Well, our job is to try to help them drop their filters because audiences are trying to poke holes often in what you have to say. So, for example, if you go on stage and you use phrases like, everybody thinks that, or you say things like, it's always this way. Well, then it's easy for them to poke holes because they can say, well, no, no, I know somebody who doesn't think that. Or they can say, no, I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. But if you say something as simple as, often many people do this, it seems to me that people feel this way. Well, then they can say, yeah, it seems to me that people often do that too. Not everybody, but often. When we use absolutes, we're closing off the world to the folks we are talking with. Not to everybody, but to many of them, especially those who are on the fence, who are not sure if they should follow you or not. They're not sure if they should listen to you or trust you. And if you use absolutes, they may be less likely to trust you. So the way we use language is very, very important. What, what the actor knows about presenting from a voice perspective, from a speech perspective, from a movement perspective is very special. If you know how to use your voice, if you know how to breathe in such a way that you can breathe, you, that you can get that whole audience breathing with you, you can change the way they feel physically. If you can use your language so that they feel something when you use certain words, you can change the way they feel. So, for example, the word love has specific sounds to it. It's a, it's a, there's a, it's, it vibrates when you use the word V. 
and the word the sound l uh is a long lasting sound and v can be as well so love well that can be a very powerful word it's a very different word than can i curse is that okay uh well we have kids who listen to the show okay but. so no so let's see another word. Thanks for asking. That, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have no idea how many times I've had to edit out stuff in the past for some oh, guests. No, I, I always ask because, you know, not everybody is okay with hearing those kind of words. And I think that's perfectly uh, natural. No, I appreciate um, that, Michael. Thank you. I'm just thinking about a word that is, is like a, a very, it's a very hard word, like Kurt. Mm. Kurt. I wouldn't, I, I, you can feel that in your body. Kurt is very different than love. Love, even Kurt, Kurt, it only has one tone to it. Love can have two different tones. Love. So I'm exaggerating these sounds right now just to demonstrate a point that when you're on stage, the way you use words will influence the way people see you as a speaker. And then, of course, movement. If you know how to move on that stage in such a way that you can have the audience following you without ever putting anything up on a screen so that they can't keep their eyes off of you, well, then you can help move them somewhere. Mm -hmm. And this is why I feel so blessed to have such extraordinary training, classical training as an actor, because it's allowed me to do things as a keynote speaker that I might not have been able to do if I hadn't had that training, which is why I'm spending the next 10 to 15 years of my work focused on performance and public speaking, my intellectual property will, will all be designed around that. And my work uh, will be focused on that because I'm so excited to bring all aspects of performance to the entrepreneurs, to the business owners who not only want to speak on stage to, to share their message, but also just want to be performers so that they can get up in any situation and improv and feel comfortable doing so. Love that. I mean, that's how I approach speaking. It's not just the content. It's it's how that content is presented. And I, I do say that I'm performing when yes. I'm on stage. And I, 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 and I see that. I saw that in your presentation. I was so excited because you obviously got that right away for whatever reason. I don't know if you picked it up somewhere or you just felt it. But right away, you started working on yourself as a performer rather than as a public speaker. And I think just the slight shift in perspective can make a big difference in the way that you develop yourself as a quote-unquote speaker well, thank you and again thank you for all the tips I, I i definitely am looking forward to getting more training with public speaking from things like working with coaches to which i've done before to even like you were just saying acting classes improv classes all this all this stuff that will help me become better a, a better performer and uh so i'd love to you know, to talk to you again in the future and have you see how much I've improved. Uh, maybe the next time I, I do something on, on, on the oh, stage. I can't wait. Yeah, you must send it to me. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. This has been amazing. A lot of things we covered from pricing to the sales conversation, anchoring framing, which is obviously huge. And then everything we just talked about with public speaking. I just want to say thank you in front of everybody. And, 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 you know, I'm so blessed to have you as somebody out there who is providing all this value for all of us. So I'll put all the, all the stuff that we talked about in the show notes, which I'll mention after we hang up. But um, if anybody wants to get more information about you and, and all the stuff that you have to offer, where should they go? Michaelport.com is the best place to go. Of course, you can get copies uh, of chapters from all my different books 
And all of the different things that we talked about are represented at michaelport.com in one way, shape, or form. Awesome. Thank you, Michael, so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks again. Awesome. That was a great interview. Thank you, Michael. If you'd love to get more information from Michael, you can go to michaelport.com. And of course, all the resources and links, everything that we mentioned on today's episode, you can find at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 130. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 130. Thank you so much again for spending time with me today. For those of you who don't know, you could download the SPI, the Smart Passive Income application that'll allow you to more easily get this show on the go, also get my Ask Pat show and all the blog posts in one convenient spot and get on, and get notifications when new things come out too. And you can change whatever you wanna get notified for and all that good stuff. The app is free and it's available for iOS and Android. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash app. That's it, smartpassiveincome.com slash app. Go ahead and give it a shot, check it out. Thank you so much. And to finish up, I'd love to thank today's sponsor, which is 99designs.com, the world's largest graphic design marketplace, making it easy for you to get a design that you love. It's a service and website that I've used in the past to great success. So if you're doing anything from a logo to a t-shirt design to a website or a landing page, you can go to 99designs.com and post your job that you need and get multiple designers around the world working on your particular project. And you get to pick the one that you like the best. Turnaround time is quite fast at seven days or less. And what's really cool is as designs are coming in, you could rate them and rank them and you can even have your friends or family rate and rank them too to help you make that decision for the best one. And as awesome as it is to work with one designer alone, and uh, sometimes that can take a while and there's a lot of back and forth. It's really cool if you need quick, good design on a budget, 99designs.com is a place to go. If you go to 99designs.com slash SPI, you can get a $99 power pack of services for free. Thanks again for spending time with me today. I truly appreciate you. And uh, again, the show notes can be found at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 130. And I have a special video over there for you as well. My first video that I published on YouTube in over a year with updates on what's coming up next for the Smart Passive Income brand. I'll see you there. Cheers. Keep hustling. Peace.